Welcome to the Immigrations Podcast, where we capture the unique stories of Asian undocumented individuals living in the United States. My name is Ju Hong, and I'm a Korean immigrant activist. In today's episode, we have Onion Ha as our guest, and check out his freestyle before we begin. Enjoy! I'm a proud dreamer, but I'm feeling the pressure. If I could count up all my stress, I could give you a lecture. Got all eyes on me. I'm just a victim with twisted history. When am I getting my papers? That shit's always a mystery. My days feel numbered. I feel guilt when I slumber. Cause a wasted day isn't what I want to remember. Receiving talk is a privilege, a blessing, and a curse. I pray for my homies that are in situations way worse. We need a final solution. No more confusion. All of us know that this dream act is an act of illusion. Tired of just retweets and shares. What's the conclusion? We at year 10 for a temporary solution. AK exclusion. I don't want to settle when they throw me the bone, but I can't afford to say no, I gotta pay for my home. And I ain't gotta do this alone. Matter of fact, it's impossible, so call your app on your phone. I'm tired of survival mode, the balls in their court, they want me to fold I'm fighting for kids' future cause mine was robbed and now I'm too old I'm not even sad no more, my anger just be making me bold For 10 long years I've seen people's heart callous up from the cold Got me fighting over paper like I'm playing squid game I ain't trying to compete with another, I'm going insane I'm on my best behavior, my best is for who? They just want us to behave to suppress me and you Who can cross the line before they make rules and start shooting? Thought y'all welcome the tired and poor man, we still human Who and what is a good or bad immigrant? Quite evident by our patience that we're all heaven sent red yellow green that's been the status between while we try to adapt and survive in this chaos it seems wanted a piece of the pie but they marked up my cookie now i'm cutting my life to shapes feeling hella rookie with the laws it feels like tug of war and i'm losing my marbles can't plan so i jump instead whether it's harmless hello everyone today i'm excited to have onion as our guest we will talk about onion's immigration journey his involvement in the immigrants movement and learn more about his passion for dancing, music, and writing. To share a little bit about Onion, he was born in South Korea and moved to the United States in 2003 when he was only six years old. He spent his childhood enjoying all types of music and dancing, and he went to public school and graduated in 2015. Onion is a DACA recipient and an active member at a nonprofit organization called Hamke Center in Virginia. Thanks for joining Onion. Thanks for having me, Ju. Uh, this is amazing, you know. Appreciate it, appreciate it. And I want to start with your nickname. Uh, your nickname is Onion, and how did you come up with your nickname? And what is your uh, real Korean name? Yeah, uh, so my Korean name is uh, Ha In Yong. Uh, it means patient dragon. I think that's what my mom told me uh, back in the day. And uh, I, that's what I was going by for until I was about middle school. So actually, like a lot of close people call me my Korean name and people I kind of grew up with call me my Korean name. But uh, after middle school, I kind of just told everyone to call me Onion because uh, I was like hearing way too many people like butchering my name, you know, like people were... <laughs> It's really, really butchering it, and um, like what did <laughs> like, you hear? Huh? Like what? Oh, like they were just saying, you know, like Inyang or you know, like some variation. But like, I would uh, eventually I just went with Onion because some guy actually couldn't say it at all, and he just kept saying Onion, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, that's <laughs> fine. I'm Onion. So, but he he was from like Bolivia, had a thick accent, so like I couldn't really blame him. So I was like, yeah, it's, it's fine. I was like, I'm Onion. And then ever since then, I just kind of went by that because it's like a good way to meet people and uh, introduce myself, and it's memorable, I guess. And it's similar enough. Yeah. No, that's great. And uh, that's very, like, stands out. And do you feel like it's like a, it's part of you now? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, I kind of grew with, like, the, like, the, like the the sense of like anonymous you know like you know like because you don't no one really knows your real name it's just onion and like what does onion mean you know like why is the onion so like it it brings up a lot of questions and uh i just i just kind of grew into it because you know like onions have many layers and i feel like there's a lot of like deep uh layers to my personality and like you know just uh what i do so yeah that's what's up that's what's up i love it i love it 
So let's talk about uh, your immigration journey and how you got involved in the immigrants movement. Okay, so uh, I lived in Korea, Incheon, until I was six when we moved in like 2003, I think. It might have been 2002, but uh, yeah, that's when we moved and uh, we came to the U.S. and uh, I moved into Falls Church, which is where I am now, and uh, it's been my hometown for all these many years. Uh, I'm 25, so like 24 of the years I was in Falls Church, uh, one year being in D.C. And uh, it was, it's been, you know, it's it's a lovely place. Uh, in the beginning, it was a little rough, like 2002, 2003. It was definitely a different place than what it is now, because uh, it's become like gentrified and definitely different from uh, when it was back then. But uh, I guess uh, I haven't really been like too much in the immigrant like uh, movement, like doing much until until like last year. Um, I kind of stayed out of like politics mostly. Um, I was just kind of avoiding the like the fight just because I didn't want to stress, you know, about it and things like that. And I was uh, like I had my own opinions but I kept it mostly to myself unless I felt like someone was being like you know like harmed or hurt like right in front of me or you know unless I had to stick up for someone or something like that so but uh yeah I, I just kind of started last year mostly because uh, I met Josh Nam from Nakasek um he and I used to play volleyball at a, a league um in a church and uh one day I was like hey what do you do for work and he was like Oh, I'm I like do policy work, and I was like, "What do you do?" And he was like, "Oh, I fight for like undocumented folk." And I was like, "Oh, really? That's just like people like me." And uh, that's how we kind of like met, and I got introduced to. Nakasek. And y'all didn't know each other before in terms of immigration <laughs> status. No, we didn't. We didn't know each other at all. Wow. So like, it was simply just over volleyball, and uh, that's how I kind of got into it. Wow, that's amazing. Before I uh, dive a little bit more into your activism, I want to kind of go back um, your childhood memories because you came here at the age of six years old and you grew up most of your life. And uh, if you could tell me a little bit about your childhood uh, experience here in the States and when did you find out about your immigration status or how did you find out about your immigration status? Yeah. Uh, so, um, when I moved into Falls Church, like my first neighborhood, it's called Maryfield. Um, it was predominantly black and there wasn't a single Asian other than our family. <laughs> it was actually kind of crazy, but, uh, really, yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy. Um, it was a little rough, like being the only Asian guy there. And, uh, it was not like a really, it wasn't terribly safe. It was, it was okay. It's not like the hood hood you know but like it was it was bad you know it was it wasn't it was just uh it was what it is but um you know it got better after you know you know I started speaking English people were able to see that I could like communicate and like you know know that I'm not that different you know in the end of the day you know I'm just right. another Asian guy and you know more more people started moving into the neighborhood and stuff and um some people moved away and you know things like that but uh yeah i mean that's how i kind of grew up around here in falls church uh just kind of getting to know people in my neighborhood usually i would hang out with this guy named daekwon and he was uh three-fourths black and one-fourth korean and uh he he was such, he was such a great guy and he um really kind of shaped uh the way that i saw like a lot of americans uh because he was my first like american friend and you know i that's how i like learned how to speak English and you know watching TV and things like that so and as you kind of growing up in this American culture when did you start noticing that you are different um, in a sense that uh, your immigration status and how did you find out oh yeah so I actually had no idea about my status until uh, I graduated high school so I spent all of my childhood like thinking I was like a, just a regular immigrant, um, just Korean, 
And um, I really kind of like dove into American culture, really loved it. And uh, yeah, when I was 18, that's when I kind of realized like I couldn't do things because my mom told me I couldn't apply to jobs because mm. I was trying to work uh, at the restaurant across the street from my house. And uh, I couldn't. What was and the restaurant? It was like it was a Japanese silver restaurant. It was just a silver, silver diner. I used to go all the time with my friends, and <laughs> I just wanted to work there, you know, just because I felt like it was like a part of the story. And uh, yeah, that was like a big shock because I was like filling out the application online, and I got to that part, and I was applying with a friend at the time, and we both got to this part, and it was like the social security part, and like he started pulling out this thing and like typing in some numbers and I was like what is this thing I've never even seen this before so like (laughs) so (laughs) I told my mom I was like hey do we have one of these like numbers and she was like no and I remember like I sat there like what the heck like so blown and like I just started trying like random numbers and stuff (laughs) nothing worked nothing worked so uh <laughs> I stopped and he got the job and I didn't and I was like dang. Oh man. But that's when I that's kind of when it first hit. And yeah, I was uh trying to join the military like right after high school and that was like I my see. dream when I was a kid. I was like I just wanted to go and like protect people and you know, go on experience travel things like that and you know, I I thought about the benefits and stuff and I was training to be an EMT at the time in senior year, and I was going to be like a combat medic. But yeah, I couldn't do it because of uh, my status as well. So that kind of affected like a lot of some decisions later on. Like yes, yeah, after the after I figured out like I was you know without status, like it really started putting up big walls around a lot of things. Yeah. Like that. And when was this? Uh, when uh, when you graduated from high school? What year was this? Twenty fifteen. Two thousand fifteen. Okay. Yeah. And were you? Um, did you hear about DACA? And how did you hear about DACA? And how did you apply? Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Um. I was. Yeah, I was struggling. I remember I was like, really stuck mentally and emotionally and. I was just not doing well, and I remember, like, my birthday passed, I think it was 2016, maybe? Um, Yeah, 2016, because, yeah. So, it was 2016, and I remember my mom said that there was this thing called DACA, and that Obama, you know, is saying a lot of stuff lately about our status, and, like, things might change for us soon, and I was like... What are you talking about? <laughs> I started looking it up, and you know, I uh, I found out uh, like this was something I qualify for, and um, my mom um, and my dad were yeah he they put out an application and we got it, and uh, that's when you know I started to uh, go to work in the restaurant industry, and you know um, things started to move a little bit further than where I was before. Wow, so the DACA was introduced in 2012, but you you wasn't aware of what DACA was until um, 2016 and you applied and you you got it in 2016. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. 2012, wow. Wow, and how did it make you feel when you got DACA? Oh, it was, it was crazy. I mean, I remember (laughs) the excitement I felt for a little while because I was like, so many, like, I felt like so much time has gone since high school and I've always kind of been like a competitive person and like, like I didn't do well academically, mostly because I had like my own little personal war against education and <laughs> I didn't believe in the memorizing and spewing out process, so I didn't care for grades, but I was always competitive and I knew that like after high school like that's when like the race the race, you know, kind of starts and uh I knew that this was like really messing up my like start and when I got DACA like it really it was like okay, like I got really excited. I was like 
hopeful to work and you know catch up and or what I thought was you know catching up and um, yeah I just wanted to work immediately and when you say catching up what do you mean by that and what are you uh, hoping to um, to catch up yeah so um, when I was like younger I was like I was kind of like objective and I was like I wanted to like you know not fall behind and you know everyone had the American dream right like where you go to college you go become a doctor lawyer whatever you want to be and you know make a lot of money and you know save up or whatever but I, I kind of never believed in that strategy I guess just because like I had like this like rebellious moment after ninth grade you know I kinda was like an AB student until then and uh, I just kinda shut down because I was not having uh, like the right like coping mechanisms or whatever it was just to deal with the stress and you know the environment that I was in and uh, I would I would just uh, you know I would I would struggle and I was um I was I just uh I don't know how to explain but like I, I thought like people would get ahead as you know with their careers and you know their pathways in life and I kind of wanted to go a different way because I thought I was in in some ways like some you know I thought I was smarter than some of these people and it wasn't and I thought like you know the way that education was being you know port you know you know the way that education was uh like um being standardized was just not a good measure like i think it was there was like a quote like if you measure um everyone or every animal on their ability to climb a tree or fish like it's it's not a correct test so like i just thought like there was a better way to live life than to become a doctor go to college be in debt and you know do all this stuff i just thought you could you know be yourself be more artistic you know like really you know it's a big world so i just wanted to do other things like gigs and just travel or whatever it was and that was like the mentality i was in when i was like a kid i was like i just wanted to prove people wrong and you know um just do my thing my own way and become more successful or whatever it was you know and but it's it's different now but yeah yeah, no, totally. And uh, you're talking about that just coping mechanism, um, I, I think around ninth grade. And I'm curious to know, like, how were you coping your stress around that time? And, and, and whether you're now dealing with your stress or anxiety or other emotional stress better than before? And if so, like, how do you cope your own stress now? Yeah, so um, back then, like when I was a kid, I kind of grew up penting everything up. Um, I had been through a lot, like when I was a kid younger, like we moved to the U.S. actually because my mom had gotten into a divorce and it was kind of like spontaneous like one day I came back from preschool and like they were screaming and it was crazy it was just a crazy scene and it was not like it was not a, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a scene for a kid and I I uh I was always taught to like kind of keep that aside you know like even when we came to the states like my mom told me like don't ever talk about that like don't ever bring it up like and she, you know she was hurting and I didn't understand at the time and all of a sudden I have a new stepdad and like all this stuff is happening and like I was not dealing with a lot of it you know well because I had to keep it to myself and like my brother was only two so he didn't understand much and uh, it took a while for me to open up to people about some of the stuff I've been through but uh yeah I would say like I was extremely depressed until like where I would, you know, deal with depression for most of my life, but like I, I've just kind of learned how to deal with them better. Like once I was like in ninth grade, I would say. Like once I became that rebellious kid, like I, 
kind of started relaxing a lot like about about you know standards from society or you know my parents expectations or you know like school stress or you know just environmental stress I was dealing with a lot of like in ninth grade I was probably I was dealing with a lot of like religious stress like I was you know mm. kind of I grew up in you know I kind of grew up and grew out of like the church once you know I would jump in and jump out like throughout my life and it's like a Christian church yeah because you know there's a whole Korean Christian community out here and uh, yeah it, it's it's been interesting um, just dealing with all of that and now it's different because I feel like now I'm just a lot more um, like carefree and like I kind of try to ease up and like forgive myself forgive you know what's ever happened and like you know try to understand what's going on and like things like that so but back then I was way more like alone and pent up and high strung like I was super like on the edge you know I was like if one more thing I probably would have gone you know screws loose but I was I just kind of dealt with it uh, mostly through dancing um, nice. that's where the dancing came in um, Daekwon kind of helped me learn how to dance and you know we both learned together because we were both like kind of sad and <laughs> we were like we should just do something to deal with all of this and we just started dancing I don't know if you guys remember but uh, you know like the, the teach me how to jerk movement yeah <laughs> I remember so, those <laughs> yeah that was in like 7th grade and that's uh, when I started to learn how to dance like after that like because I was uh, I learned how to jerk with uh, Daquan and like you know do all these dance moves and then I got crushed <laughs> by this one dude <laughs> in uh, middle school and I was like oh no I need to get better so I started learning like different styles of dance and like that's kind of where like my journey for, for like music and like uh, the arts kind of came in and that's when I started realizing, like, yeah, maybe getting, you know, A's and B's aren't the most important thing in the world. And I started um, kind of exploring more about, like, myself and, you know, just seeing how big, like, the world is. You know, like, there's so much stuff you could do. And, you know, there's just, like, not enough time. But you got to use what you can. So, yeah, no, I like that. And, you know, um, I, you know, I feel like you find dancing music and writing um, as a coping mechanism but also you utilize those tools to express yourself and through activism and uh, the audience um, listen to your squeak game rap and I listened to it uh, a couple times and I thought it was incredible and if you could talk a little bit about your music, your, your, your dancing, and your just creative arts in general to not only express yourself, but also channeling that cultural expression to um, cultivate it into activism. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I would say like, yeah, it started with that Teach Me How to Jerk movement. And from there, it kind of like spread outwards. Like me and Daquan are very like, we're very like uh, open-minded, so like we would try to research a lot of things. Like I love getting into like rabbit holes, like Wikipedia or rabbit holes, where you just like re search all these random things. Like, or you go on YouTube and look up random videos or whatever. But like, that's how we got into like um, different styles a lot. Like the Teach Me How to Jerk movement came from apparently Tectonic, which is from Europe, and uh, that's like a style that's uh, on like clubs and stuff. So like we ended up learning that whole style, not the whole uh -huh. style, but you know just enough for us to express ourselves and then we went from there to like a little bit of tutting and then from there to popping and then after you know bouncing around a couple styles like we kind of built our own little you know repertoire of moves and our own styles and stuff so uh that's kind of like how we started dancing and I kind of got into hip-hop um and and uh breakdancing in ninth grade which is <laughs> kind of funny because like to me like that was like all life was about you know it was like at that point 
you know, I was like, I wasn't really depressed anymore. I was kind of like getting into my hobbies, like meeting people that are also into the same stuff. Like I formed, like we had like a breakdance group in, in Oakton High School and like, you know, we, we started dancing together like after school, like every day basically from like 2.30 to 4.30 at least. And uh, it was like legit. And <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like where the breakdancing came from. And uh, I started like, you know, listening more to like hip hop because I was actually really into like like rock music and like metal back when I was a kid. You know, I was like, it just kind of fit the whole, I guess, the scene <laughs> just because I had like that rough childhood and like I had like a little emo phase and I had to, you know, I was like into skating and listening to that punk stuff. And I was now, you know, switching over to hip hop because like, you know, because of the dancing and all of this. and. So now I appreciate like both styles. It's amazing, you know. It's I love music very much, and uh, yeah, it's uh, now it's just a good outlet. Like if if I feel like a certain emotion, I like I turn something on, you know. Whether it's you know Nas, Mob Deep, you know, it could be you know MF Doom, you know. If it's like for you know hip hop or for rock music, I'd put on like some Three Days Grace or Breaking Benjamin or you know even metal like corn or disturbed like i can I, I can go a lot of places so you know i kind of just vibe wherever i feel like the only kind of thing that kind of i do is like i'm always dancing no matter what kind of beat is on like it could be like country i'm still kind of like tapping my foot or bobbing my head or something so that's yeah no that's amazing um i also want you to kind of uh, tell tell us a little bit about your um your creativity around uh, creative uh, creative writing and uh, creating a music and you sent a sample and I thought it was really incredible you just kind of talk about your your story um, as an immigrant navigating DACA and just some of the challenges and obstacles but also some of the opportunities in a, in a very short segment but it was so rich content and we have to unpack that a little <laughs> bit and I'm just kind of curious to know like give us a little bit of like process your thought process when you uh, write this type of things and yeah. um, what kind of motivates you to write that piece and I know that you've been also sharing this to other nonprofit organizations and so I'm just kind of curious to know about your experience on that front yeah, so um, I kind of started writing and doing rap pretty recently, I would say like I think two years ago. Um, I didn't really um, like take it seriously for a while. Like I, I took it seriously as like a as a style, as an element, as like a you know one of the elements of hip hop. But I never, I never personally took it as like a I'm gonna try to do this kind of thing because mm -hmm. I was always a dancer and that was my that was my element of hip-hop that I kind of fell into that I kind of loved and you know I, I knew that was like the community I had you know just like I kind of got familiar with that element so um, you know as I got older and you know some injuries happened and like you know, some, you know, I gained some weight and <laughs> like, it's not the same. So like, you know, now I just kind of like, I, I still dance and stuff, but like, I also like to do writing because I'm trying to appreciate the other styles of hip hop, you know? So, you know, I, I kind of tried my hand in graffiti. I'm terrible with drawing. So I, I just, it didn't go long. You know, I, I kind of liked it too, just cause it's kind of free thinking. But like, I think, uh, I have a lot of, uh, like kind of like a good relationship with like the dancing and also the writing because I didn't I, like I started off just freestyling and stuff just with my friends just goofing off and that's what it was all it was is freestyling and goofing off but uh you know sometimes like I'd get you know home and I'd be like stressed you know I'd be, have things on my mind whether it's you know my immigration status or you know whether it's just things at home or whatever it was you know and from the past you know everyone has like something bothering them so like whatever it keeps you know whatever keeps you up at night so I literally jot down things that are on my mind so like my whole like if you see my thing it's insane like I have 
everything on my notes on my iPhone app. Literally one page. <laughs> All my raps. Wow. And if I lose it, I'm going to, I don't know. But I have everything on one page. And in the very beginning of it, it's just like concepts or like mm. just like thoughts, you know, like that I have in my mind or phrases, you know, whatever is like kind of just like floating in my head kind of just there like I kind of acknowledge it like you know it's like this is a part of my my circle like my universe right now like this is on my mind like uh, for some reason it, it's not leaving it so I just write it down on the notes and when I have those nights where I'm like you know laying down and I can't sleep and like I'm like thinking I'll like revisit that term and like mm -hmm. I'll start writing something you know based off of that because clearly like I have to think more upon that part because you know I can't maybe I can't do it right then and there because I'm working, but I'll I'll be doing something else and or you know when I have some time like at night I'll just write and that's kind of how that came apart. Um, the very beginning, yeah, I was like for that one. Yeah, um, Bo was actually on this this uh, immigrations podcast last. Uh, he. He and I were talking, and you know, he and I vibe a lot. And he was, and I remember one time we had a conversation, and you know, he was saying how he couldn't, you know, you know, he wasn't able to do DACA. I don't know um, if I could even say that, but he wasn't eligible. No, he doesn't. Yeah, no, he, he's not. He's not qualified for DACA, so he's pretty open about it. Yeah. So, and uh, at the time, I was a DACA recipient, and I knew that there was like this like a like a conversation that like was very important that like I kind of didn't even really think too much about like to me it was just about the whole immigration thing but like like for for DACA people but like I was so caught up in that like I really didn't see like the, the harm that DACA was doing itself you know just mm -hmm. because it splits mm -hmm. a lot of you know people in the same status in the same situation into two people into two segments of people and now it's like you got half the people that are satisfied with just being this which is two years amnesty whatever it is not even guaranteed or you know you can be undocumented and like that's just kind of like the the bone that they're throwing at us it's like yeah which one do you want you know you wanna you wanna beg and choose like no so like that's the conversation I have with Bo and that's why like that first line I was saying I'm a proud dreamer but I'm feeling the pressure because there's a lot of this like pressure to be a certain way when you're a DACA recipient you got to be a good immigrant or whatever they call it you know mm. you know they they want us to behave a certain way or have a good track record you know be committing to America whatever it is but uh I don't after talking to Bo and all that it's like no we shouldn't have any they shouldn't we shouldn't have any requirements or any expectations required of us so that we can be here, you know? Like, we've, we be, we're we here because we're here, you know? Like, there's, and there's no excluding, you know, me or, you know, Bo, Bo or any of these people that are, you know, in different circumstances, but just, you know, because of the, da of the date that the they allow us to be here is that, you know? And my brother falls under that, like, he can't apply for DACA. And he, you know, so, like, the, the situation doesn't change just because DACA's a thing. And, like, I think, uh, yeah, like, it, it really kind of broadened my, or shaped a, a good port, you know, a portion of my views, you know, because I was like, you know, it's not about, like, DACA. It's about immigration, you know. It's, it's about all these people, not just, you know, the people that are undocumented. It's about the undocumented, you know. And how it's like this, you know, it's not our fault the system's broken, you know. We didn't do anything. I'm also curious to know about your experience working in a nonprofit organization. And you recently got exposed to the nonprofit sector through um, your immigration status. And I'm curious to know your take on that and what's your, what's your what has been your experiences like and and um anything that you want to share yeah um yeah like i said like i haven't been too much in this kind of like sector like nonprofit to you know for most of my life 
I always, you know, like I assumed there was always people doing that and, you know, there was always people fighting and stuff and like I was like, I'm not going to get involved because I am an idiot and I don't know what I'm talking about. So I am just going to do my thing, you know, which has always been my thing. It was just like, I'm just going to, just going to focus on myself. I have enough issues and these guys that are superheroes <laughs> are going to do their superhero things and things are changing. I didn't even realize like people... Like, I'm so, like, I was so ignorant. Like, I was, like, when DACA happened and stuff, I was, like, I didn't realize people fought for that, you know? Like, I see. You know, <laughs> I just thought Obama, like, came to his senses or something and was, like, oh, I'm doing this, you know? But, like, there's people fighting for things all the time. And I never right. kind of put, like, two and two. I knew there was a, I knew it was a thing, but I didn't put two and two together. Like, you could actually pressure, like, politicians. You could actually have strategies to do things and, like, it's all kind of nuts because like now I'm kind of getting into it and like I kind of like am like you know talking to you know Hopkins Center and stuff sometimes and like working with them and like doing things and it's uh it's interesting just to see like how everything runs you know like and at first I didn't even believe in anything like Nakasek like I, <laughs> when I when you guys first came to May Day last year like to lat yeah two years ago because now it's uh past may but like two years ago that was like the first time i've seen like a giant march for anything you know like well i've been a part of the black lives Matter march but like i was not a part of like this uh thing that you know we're doing and uh it was wild i was like holy crap like all these people are in similar situations as me and they're all here and like they're fighting and like I remember, like, we were, uh, yeah, we marched, and, like, people were, like, dancing on the streets, and, like, some people were, like, angry, and, like, I was just, like, all these different types of emotions and communities and, like, different people and ethnic groups and sizes, and, like, you know, it was just, like, damn, this is, like, this is what America is supposed to look like, you know, there's a lot of different ethnicities and everything, like, it's, like, and everyone's kind of, like, tolerating each other, and it was, like, you know, like, I was, like, why... Like, I was like, there's no way, you know, this exists. <laughs> In my head, I was like, there's no way. There's like, there's no such thing as a good person, you know. So, yeah, when I was introduced to Nakasek, like, at first, that was, like, the first, like, public event. Like, I was always skeptical. I was kind of like, who are these people? What do they really want? You know, like, what are they really fighting for? <laughs> you know, like, who do they really work for? Am I being recorded? You know, like, they're going to start, like... I don't know. I just start like they're gonna make money off of me because of something I say, or I don't know. So I was always skeptical, and like I stayed skeptical until I talked to I think you, Drew. You uh, kind of were like a big turning point because uh, I was. It was one night. It was like at a hotel, and then uh, at night we were like talking outside. I don't know if you remember. We had like a brief conversation. <laughs> I was like. Hey, Drew, like, I just found out you were, you know, like, you spoke to Obama, like, out in the middle of his speech. And, like, that's the thing. Like, I didn't know that you did that until, like, probably, like, like, I, I had, I met you, like, a day prior to that. And then I went home. I looked you up. Mm. I found out what you did. And then I saw you the next day and I said that to you. And I was like, yo, I found out you did this. I was like, <laughs> what the heck? Like, I've always dreamt of, like, you know, interrupting, like, a politician or, like, you know, causing some kind of ruckus because things aren't moving forward. And uh, I was just like, holy crap, these people are really about it. Like, they're, like, really about it. Like, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks kind of stuff. You know, like, they, they really fight for stuff. You know, like, they're not... They're not just like doing it for Instagram and re you know reposting. They're out here like standing outside 24/7, like kind of stuff, like starving themselves, shaving their heads. Like I was like, these guys are really about it. So that's when I started kind of like believing in Nakasek and like other nonprofit organizations. And like I uh, broke my hand last year, and um, you know the people were helping me through like you know healthcare and like all this stuff too. And uh, it was all like free which is like the wildest part which is i was like holy crap these people are wasting so much time and effort just to help me and it's like not wasting but like using so much effort and like resources and like getting all these people to like help me out and i was like this is insane like just because like i am a 
you know, undocumented or just because I'm a person in this community, like, people are actually looking out for me. I was like, so it kind of was like a weird little, like, moment because I'm usually, like, a skeptical person when it comes to meeting people. Like, I'm always kind of like, who is this guy? What does he want? You know, what does he really no, want? I like that. But <laughs> you guys really, I feel safe when I'm around Nakasak or Hamkil Center people because I know you guys won't do me dirty. No, I, uh, you know, you're part of our family now and, you know, part of the community. And so we all try to support each other, uh, especially in this, uh, in this struggle. So I do appreciate you for, um, you know, uh, being open-minded and being part of the community. And that's how you met Bo and uh, met me and other people. And so I think we, we try to support each other. So I appreciate you for sharing for that. And I'm curious to know, like, what do you do now and what's your uh, dream and aspiration? Yeah. Um, so dreams and aspirations and what I'm doing now. And like, yeah, so I was in the restaurant industry for a very, very long time. Um, after I got DACA, my first job was at H Mart, actually. Um, I was like stocking stuff in the back and like, you know, I actually worked with, like, a full team of, like, only Spanish-speaking individuals. Wow. And it was, like, wild because I actually picked up a decent amount of Spanish that way. And it helped me because when I went to the restaurant industry, there was, a you know, a lot more Spanish being used. And I kind of just kind of, like, learned, like, restaurant Spanish. And now, like, I can somewhat get by. Not, not like, the grammatical way but like I can get my message across I think for certain things nice. and like it's sick and um but that's a side point but I've been working in the restaurant for like like I would say seven years and you know I started off as a barista you know I became a server um did a little bartending and then became a manager for a couple of years and then and you know these are all at different jobs and stuff and you know, when I got to the managing positions, I was kind of like, man, this shit sucks. Because, you know, everyone thinks like, oh, I'm the manager, I'm hot shit. But it's like, no, you're everyone's shit. Like, everyone shits on you because, like, you're the manager. So you own, you have to operate the, you know, the business and, like, all the customers are complaining to you and all the all the employees are mad at you because you're letting people do whatever and or whatever, you know. So, like, it's just everything's on you. So I hated it. And on breaks, which I had, like, a 30-minute break all day, you know, it was probably, like, oh, 10 man. to 10 I was working, like, 12-hour shifts. And it was, like, this is, like, normal in the restaurant industry out here. It's just, like, you work, like, so many hours, and, you know, you get, like, a 30-minute break to eat your lunch or your, your dinner or whatever, and that's it. You're back on the feet, you know, you're back to serving, you know, dealing with all these all these people and I would spend my time on my break just like watching videos of like people I don't know indigenous people like building with mud and stuff like like tents and like huts and like houses and like I would st <laughs> and like the Instagram like algorithm would like start showing me other stuff like do-it-yourself videos and like I don't know I just for some reason like really kind of like that stuff so like I kind of would watch a bunch of those and during the pandemic I was like out of work for a little bit but I was getting the unemployment um benefits and um I was like you know I was just like slowly like you know I need to do something to to survive out here so like I started like buying random tools like hoping that it'll eventually like I'll be able to use it and like learn how to do it and stuff and then like uh yeah and then I just ended up but I stayed in the restaurant industry for like another two years for that and then after one day I was like I can't do this anymore and I literally just mm. quit the job I was at and I was without a job for like a month or two and I was just like slowly like burning through all my stuff all my savings and I went on vacation and I was like you know gonna have to relax now because for the first time in my life I have like time you know because like yeah literally I was there like 
I shit you not, like over 60 hours, like every single job that I've had until last year. Oh my God. Because I was just working the restaurant or, you know, doing some crazy work. And yeah, so like I found this job with this carpenter and he was looking for an assistant that didn't know anything because he said he hated training people that knew shit because... You know, they always complain, like, why don't you do it this way? Or, like, have their own opinion. And he didn't want to deal with that. So he wanted to deal with, like, a newbie. And I was uh, I was exactly that. I was like, listen, man, I'll be your hardest worker. Like, I was like, trust me. Like, I'll put in as many hours as you want me to. Like, all I want to do is just work. And I got the job. And I'm loving it because it's so different from what I've done before. And, like, it's like a... You know, like, the, the hours are pretty decent. Like, it's from, like, you know, the morning till like, 4 or 5, you know, whenever the sun sets, basically. And I'm just outside all day. I love being outside and being out in nature and shit. So I like to cut cut wood and build stuff. And it's really cool to see, like, your day pass and, like, what you've done, like, kind of progress and, like, become a thing. Like, you're, like, literally materializing stuff that you want people to have or, like, envisioned. So it's cool. I like that's it. That's super cool, man. Uh, that's remarkable that you self-taught and you changed the industry and now uh, you enjoy where you're at. And so super happy for you. I just want to uh, close out with a final question for you. What advice would you give to your younger self and why? Um... For my younger self, I would definitely tell to relax um, because and relax and to forgive yourself and to know that like, you know, like being right isn't always the best. And, you know, like sometimes like your peace of mind is better. So like when things happen or like, you know, or when you know when things happen like something's out of your control whether it be DACA or your parents or you know whatever it is like you can't change what happened you just have to work with what you have and so I would tell you know myself to not like linger on what's going on but like try to accept it and like figure out a way around it or just try to realize like what affects you or not you know no i appreciate that i appreciate that no, thanks for sharing your wisdom and you know I, I want to acknowledge you for your you know sharing your story with me um you know i think your personal story um is oftentimes it's not shared um in a national uh, mainstream media and it's a very unique um story and I resonated with uh, some of the stories and journey that you went through and so I really appreciate you for that and I hope um, some of the audience uh, will also understand and resonate with some of the journey that you were part on and and you know um, I know you personally man you've been hustling and you know trying to ends meet while you volunteer and help the immigrant community and um, you know, I have to say you have a real talent and gift in your voice and through your music and dancing, and channel, channeling a lot of positive light. And so I hope you continue to um, be, be your authentic self and be creative uh, so that you will continue to inspire other people. And finally, this is my very first time doing this. So you, you're the special one right here. So <laughs> I want to start incorporating the rapid fire questions. Okay. And so it'll be a very quick and uh, short uh, response, and we will close out. All right. Um, so the first question is, what is your favorite color? My favorite color is purple. Texting or talking? Talking. Definitely talking. talking. Place you most want to travel to? Place I want to travel to Korea, man. Try to go back to the homeland. That's what's up. Favorite childhood TV show? Oh, oh. Curse the Cowardly Dog. Alright. Who inspires you? Who inspires me? Uh a lot of people. I would say Nas, the the rapper. Okay. Yeah. He's a Okay. Last uh Halloween costume. 
my last Halloween costume. Oh, every year I go as the ninja because all you need is a black t-shirt and you just wrap that around your face and you get free Chipotle. <laughs> that's good. That's a good one. Yeah. What is your uh, favorite music? My favorite music uh, is hip hop. Um, Nas is uh, the artist I like the most because I think he's beyond like any other like level. Like he his his ability to speak and to create poetry is just it's insane. And uh, yeah, I would say like if you yeah I don't know like it's it's just great. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Last one is, uh, what is something that people often get wrong about you? Ooh. Um, a lot of people think I'm really, like, laid back and chill to the point I won't get mad. But to be honest, I'm a very angry individual just covering it with a smile. <laughs> <laughs> there we go i feel like i learned a lot about you through uh rapid fire questions too so <laughs> thanks for uh responding to that and um again i uh, really appreciate you for uh joining my podcast and excited to uh, share this uh, podcast with the audience thank you man thank you this is great thank you for having me this was uh very humbling this is crazy that you wanted me on this podcast um shout out to everyone else that was on this podcast you guys are really awesome people um i've listened to all of them so you know i'm looking forward to what else you're making man for sure man my pleasure man we'll we'll connect again soon for sure for sure all right take it easy all right yo thank you for listening if you enjoyed the show don't forget to subscribe rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts Also, follow me on Instagram at Immigrations. See you at the next episode.